This is Real Estate Rookie episode 319er. So for me as a developer, uh, one of my deals actually, we bought the land for 25,000. We spent another 25 to pre-develop it and all in, let's $50,000. We just got the plans approved. That is all that I needed for my construction loan. Now my construction loan comes in and we're able to build the whole house. And now the choice is mine of what I want to do after, if I want to refinance it and keep it, or if I want to sell it. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I got to say, Ashley, I appreciate you throwing the J in between the Tony and the Robinson. So, you know, for, for our rookie audience, there's a reason why I like the J. Uh, first, there's Tony Robbins, who I get confused for uh, all the time. Uh, and I've, I've disappointed quite a few people because they're like, oh my God, it gets me Tony Robbins when really it's just me. Uh, and there's also other guys in the real estate space named Tony Robinson. So I got I to gotta find a way to, to separate myself. So that's where the J comes from. Terry shares a lot about his journey of going from a real estate wholesaler to a developer, and he shares some really interesting nuggets on what it costs to develop. And I'm telling you guys, you, you're, you're not anticipating, you're not going to believe what he says when he shares the price. One of my favorite things about this episode is how we go so in depth about what you need before starting new development and who you need. Terry is going to do a great job of kind of outlining those first steps that you need to take. He started out wholesaling and he's going to explain that pivot, that transition into new development in case that's something you are thinking about doing. So for all of our rookies that are listening, we promise you're going to get a ton of value from hearing Terry's story for a second time, and we can't wait to share it with you. But before we do, I want to share a review by someone of the username uh, Gina Liu. And Gina left to say five-star review in Apple Podcasts that says, wealth of real estate information. What a great podcast full of excellent real estate investing nuggets. Thank you for sharing your journeys, finding inspiring guests, and providing a wealth of information for new real estate investors. When I was looking to get started in real estate investing, I came across Bigger Pockets in the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, and it totally changed everything. So, Gino, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for leaving that honest rating and review. And for all of our rookies that are listening, if you haven't yet, it only takes a minute or two. Please do leave us an honest rating and review on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening to. The more views we get, the more folks we're able to reach. And the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? 
Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent T-O-Retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Terry, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us again on Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie. Um, start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your first episode with us. Yeah, so appreciate you guys. Like always, it's always great speaking to you guys. Uh, my name is Terry Harris. Um, I started off playing professional basketball in the NBA G League. Uh, from the NBA G League, I got into real estate, just kind of found a passion with real estate and just started reading as much as I could about it, talking to as many people as I could. And, um, you know, just got into it, was able to buy my first home on a FHA 3% down um, in Delaware where I was playing. And uh, I believe our first our first interview was kind of me going over of how I got into real estate um, and the kind of niche that I was in currently during that first episode, which was wholesaling real estate. And, um, you know, through wholesaling real estate, I was wholesaling land to land developers. And uh, the beauty about that was I was learning from developers as well how they were buying land, what they were doing with the land and how they were developing it. And at the same time, I was also making a, a little assignment fee uh, from the wholesale deal. So uh, it, it it was like a paid internship for me. So now I kind of like switched the gears a little bit and uh, got into, um, you know, got into developing real estate. So Terry, how many... How many wholesale deals would you say you completed uh, and are you still actively wholesaling? Um, I think I completed around about, I would say about 30 wholesale deals, uh, 30 wholesale deals. I, I, it was a point where I was doing around three to four deals a month at my, at my prime, you can say. And, uh, and, and 
but but now it's the point where um you know i'm i'm looking to wholesale deals for myself my partners uh to do land deals so i've the wholesaling techniques and the marketing that i've used i still implemented in uh in my um in my real estate strategies today terry how long did it take you to get that first deal and what did you have to do to get it um that first deal i would say it took about Four, four and a half months for that first deal. And that's that was kind of with learning and trial and error and everything. Um, it took me a lot of a lot of calls and I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't know how to wholesale in an efficient way. I remember I just got PropStream. I bought a list of about fifteen hundred names and numbers, and I would sit and, you know, with three highlighters, uh, red if they said no, yellow if they didn't answer, and green if it was a lead. And I would every day call 60 to 100. That was my goal. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd do that and get some appointments going, visit some properties, see if I can get deals on a contract. And uh, it took about four months to close something. Can you just walk us through the process of pulling a list and what a list is and what PropStream is for, you know, maybe somebody who has no idea what that process looks like. Can you kind of break it down for us into steps real quick? For sure. Um, so PropStream is just a, a software technique where, uh, you know, anybody can go on PropStream. You can see who the property owners are of properties when they purchased it. Um, you know, if they have a mortgage or a loan on it, what that, what it sold for, it gives you a lot of data on properties. And, um, I use PropStream. So I picked the area that I was actually at the time I was playing basketball and I was training in. So I picked the area that was, um, that specific area in California. And I bought a list of about a 1500 high equity vacant homeowners. And the reason I sought high equity vacant homeowners is because another wholesaler said this was a good list to target because one, they would probably be willing to sell at um, a possibly a discount. And if it's vacant, you know, they're probably not making money off of it. So um, getting a deal like that under contract could be really enticing for an investor. So that was my initial target of what I was going to look for. And I was wasn't going to stop till that list was complete or I got somebody who wanted to, uh, was willing to sell, uh, sell their property to me. Terry, you said you weren't going to stop until that list was complete. How, just like ballpark, how many people or, or calls do you think you had to make before you got that first deal? Uh, it was about, that first deal was probably about 600 to 700 calls and 600, 700 calls. Yeah. And I was, you know, and I was doing that. I was doing a little bit of driving for dollars. So like, uh, that's like, I would put, I'll put your, your guys' podcast on and I would just drive around the local neighborhoods. And, uh, and if I see a vacant house, I just put it on the list, but about 600 to 700 calls. And Terry, I mean, kudos to you, brother, because I, I think so many people listen to this podcast and, you know, naturally they hear the success stories of investors and, and sometimes they can gloss over, the hard work that goes into being on this podcast, right? And, and a lot of people would have given up after 100 calls or 200 calls or 300 calls or 400 calls or 599 calls, uh, but you you push through, man. So I think there's a, an important lesson to take away from uh, from that for our rookie audience. Well, one thing I want to I want to ask because you you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you said that you you basically had like an internship in land development by wholesaling first. So I'm I'm, I'm curious. Why exactly would these developers be willing to kind of take you under their wing and give you free education? And what were some of those things that you learned uh, by being kind of close and personal with them as they were doing that? So I'm 
it's quite, you know, it's quite simple. I was providing them value. I was able to give them uh, deals, off-market deals that were uh, below market value. So at the time, I knew I just something I was like, I really want to develop. I really want to build something and create a, a you know, a, a cool looking home and I want to develop. So my thing was like, let me wholesale land. Let me wholesale something that I want to get into. And that's what I recommend, honestly, to anyone to um, to go and wholesale something that they're looking to get into. So land land deals were my way of getting into real estate. And um, as I started wholesaling land to developers, they were like, keep them coming, keep them coming. And it was just like a relationship. And they were like, hey, we need something in this area. And then at the same time, I was like, so how's that How's that property that, uh, that I just developed, that I just uh, wholesaled to you, you know, five months ago? And they would say, oh, it's good. You know, we just took a loan for 400,000. We're going to build this property for 400,000 and we're going to look to sell it for 800K plus. And I'm over here thinking, wow, you know, I made $8,000 off an assignment fee but you're going to develop this and make over a 300k profit. I was like, hmm, you know, this, you know, this this might be a better game that I can get into. So, um, and that kind of like enticed me, you know, obviously the 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 money that was 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 a good was something enticing, but then again, it's like it was just so cool to see something like see 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 a developer's plans hit the paper, you know, come to life and and then for them to, you know, do whatever they want to keep it, sell it or or, or you know, make it Airbnb. So I was just like, man, that's what I want to do. Terry, a hard part of being a wholesaler is first finding deals, but the second part is finding buyers. So how did you create that buyer's list of developers? I mean, it's such a specific niche that you're looking for. It's not like you're selling a single family home that could be a rental or it could be a house that you're flipping. Um, so how did you find these developers to actually sell these lots to? You know, I speak to a lot of people and I, and they're like, oh, but finding the buyers is hard, isn't it? I said, that's actually, it was actually, the e it's the easiest part. It's the easiest part. And it's just like the same way where I go and find the, uh, the sellers or the uh, property owners is the same way I found the buyers. So I would go on PropStream and pull a list of everyone who's bought vacant land in, in the same area of where I was looking to wholesale. And, and probably in the last two, three years, because if you bought vacant land in the last two, three years, you know, you're probably buying it to develop or maybe to hold on to it to, to see if it appreciates over time. So that that so I pulled the list of all the people who bought land in the last two, three years, and I would blast out a text uh, to them of all my deals. And, you know, of course, some people wouldn't answer. And the people who did answer, I would make sure I get on the call with them, you know, see how they're interested and see what it, what what are you looking for if you're not interested in this land. And that just starts to build up slowly over time. You start building your own buyers list and you start to know now specifically what they're looking for. And now, you know, you're not just you're not just building a buyer's list now, but you're also building a developer's eye for deals because now, you know, like, oh, you know, these three of the best developers in this area want properties that are this size, this this big and uh, this much utilities. And they want this because of this. So I started to get that developer's eye as well. So it also like you build the buyer's list and then you're also learning how to be a developer. So it's like it's like two full things that you can get. So Terry, I, I want to comment on that before I do, before I lose this thought. Um, you, you, you talked earlier about why the developers were willing to kind of give you all of this free information. And it was because you provided value to them. 
And Ash and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast where, you know, we, we oftentimes get messages from, you know, people in the rookie audience who, you know, want to want to pick our brain or offer to take us out to lunch or dinner. And, you know, un unfortunately, we, we are busy running businesses right now. So we, we don't have a ton of free time. Um, but if someone came to us and said, hey, Tony, I know you invest in these three markets and I've got, you know, uh, a, a deal that's 50 percent uh you know a discount on retail value and i want to give it to you that is a great way to build a relationship with someone you know um and i i think you you found that as a good path forward and just like it's a, a quick side story someone actually reached out to me recently asking to partner with me on a deal and they're like hey tony you know i'll, I'll do whatever you know you need me to this that and the other and i said look you know I've, I've got my team in place but if you find me a deal i'd be happy to to work with you on it and his response was something to the effect of uh, well, no thanks. If I find a good deal, I'm going to keep it for myself. And, you know, I, I I thought it was such a weird response because they had reached out to me asking to work with me. And I gave them a very clear, like, hey, if you can do this thing, I'd be happy to work with you. But their thought process was almost short-sighted in the sense they were focused on like, hey, if I get a good deal, I'm going to keep it for myself, not work in this relationship, leave me long-term. Whereas for you, Terry, you, you now have been able to elevate your own real estate business because you were so focused on giving value to the people that uh, were a few steps ahead of you. And, and, and what's crazy is, uh, in the beginning, I was, I, I kind of, in the beginning, I was kind of the same way a little bit. Like, like even when you say that, I kind of like, you know, you, when you starting to get going, you kind of want to, uh, establish yourself. And I kind of was like, you know, I want to get my own properties. I want to be a hundred percent owner, a hundred percent owner. And, um, you know, when I sat back and really thought about it, okay, if I, me doing my own properties, I I'm, I have the capacity at the time to do two at max on my own. That's it. But I had the same kind of thing as like, I find deals and I found a, a, a investor who was like, hey, if you can find us deals, we can make you a partner and you can oversee these builds. And now it's come to a point where we together have bought eight properties together. So now I get two on my own and eight with them. I'm able to do 10 projects now. So I'm now it's like the power of partnerships is just like, can just can help you grow astronomically. And that's something that I've kind of, I have to mature and grow, grow from, but it's just in order to grow, I believe working with other people, working with partners is just the, the right way to do it. And it's the most efficient way to do it. But it's so funny that you say that because I can definitely relate. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and Ashton and I are both smiling right now because you said partnerships twice uh, in that last sentence. And Ashton and I just recently released a book with Bigger Pockets called Real Estate Partnerships. So if you guys head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships, uh, you can pick up that book and learn how Ashley and I have leveraged partnerships to scale our own real estate portfolio. So thank you for that that uh, that little tea up there, Terry. I appreciate that, man. But one thing I want to go back to, uh, you, you talked about building your buyer's list. And um, you, you said you, you would pull a list of all the folks that had purchased land in, in the area that you were focusing on. My, my, my question is, Terry, were you waiting until you had a deal to present to them before you reached out? Or were you just reaching out preemptively to say, hey, my name's Terry. Uh, I saw you bought land here. If I have something in the future, can I share it with you? Wh which approach were you taking? I, I got the deals under contract and I would have like about two to three of my own buyers in the beginning. And then um, every time I would, you know, of course I'd blast it out to the people who I knew, but I would do, I would do the blast of just, I, I mean, I would not have any type of communication with them. I would just give a little bit of details on myself and give mainly details about the land. I'd give the Google coordinates um, and then just, just, just talk about the deal. Just, just very, very briefly. And 
And the thing is that I, I would message thousands of buyers and um, I always knew two to three would be interested. And, 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 and about probably like 40 people would answer, ah, not what I'm looking for, maybe. And then I would, you know, then I would, uh, I would go and get that conversation going. So I would always get the deal under contract first. But now I kind of, you know, in today's market where buyers are about a little more slim, you know, I would try to find, I would today in today's market, try to find the, uh, find the buyers to find the active investors in the, in the areas and kind of know what they're looking for and then go after that area. Tara, I, I want to ask, so th- at, at what point did you uh, kind of feel the confidence to make the switch from wholesaling the land to actually developing it? Like, like what was that moment or that milestone where you said, okay, today's the day that I'm ready to, to take that next step? I would say when I submitted my plans for my third, my third project, um, I believe I had one that broke ground um, another one that was about to, about to be broken ground on. And then it was like the amount of time that I I really wanted to pay really close attention to detail. And I knew I wanted to be a developer. I wanted to be a full-time developer. Um, and I, I started building partnerships and I knew a lot of people wanted to build. So I was like, you know what, let me lock in on this. I want to spend time instead of spending, uh, a lot of time on wholesaling. I want to spend more time, you know, learning how to read plans efficiently, learning how to, um, learning how to, uh, maneuver through planning departments the correct way, uh, read more about developing, connect with more developers. So I really just was like this, I want this to be my full-time thing. I don't want to be known as a wholesale. I want to be a developer. But, but Terry, even that first one, cause you said it was like that third one where you kind of mentally made the transition to do it full-time. But I mean, even going back to that first development deal, how did you know that you were ready for, for that one? Because development is such a, it's a big step beyond uh, wholesaling, right? Like I'm sure a lot of the skills translate in terms of fan- finding the deal, but like you said, there, there's so much more nuance that goes into to the development. So when you did that very first one, how did you know you were ready in that moment? I didn't. <laughs> no, no, but uh, I was. It was. Um, it was. It's just like you're gonna learn, you know. And like the way I, the way I look at real estate is like you know you're always gonna learn if you hold an asset long enough. It's gonna make you money. Um, and it's just, you're constantly just going to get better and better and better. You know, I'm not going to be, you go into anything. I'm not going to be the best right away, but you're going to learn. You're going to get better. You're going to grow. So I knew the first one was just like, look, it's going to be a crazy learning curve. And uh, I'm going to just learn new things. I'm going to become, get more efficient, learn how to develop quicker, faster, um, more affordable prices. But it was, it was, uh, I, I, I knew I was like, all right, this is, you know, this is something that I'm going to, this is new. Uh, but I'm ready for the challenge. And um, I was just super excited to get into it, really. Terry, who were the first people that you brought onto your type team? So, you know, as a, a real estate investor that's buying rental properties, you may seek out a, a property manager. So were you going after architects, engineers? What did that kind of look like? What's different from already buying a build a building than doing new development? Um, I think the first thing was uh, finding a good architect. Uh, that's probably the, 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 uh, the first person that you want to get on your team that is, uh, after you purchase the land. Um, and what's good about finding a good architect and, you know, something I didn't know before my first development deal is, uh, I, you know, I hired anybody on the first one and it was, 
it was the the challenging part was that I had to go and find the civil engineer. I had to go find the surveyor. I had to go find the, uh, uh, do all the other resources. But now once I found now on my third one, I, I, I'm using a local architect now, somebody who's been developing the area for 20 plus years, uh, has a good, has good images of, and knows how to develop in, in, in the desert. Um, but he's, he knows great local civil engineers. He knows a good local, um, surveyor or a good local, somebody who could do a perk test. So it's just doing things like that. It makes it way more efficient. It makes it easier for you. Um, he, he, he lives right near the, uh, planning department. So he drops the plans off instead of me dropping the plans off. So that's kind of that first step was getting an architect. And I think that that can also find the right architect can make or break your project too. So that is very huge. I just want to add something to because you're, you're kind of alluding to this, but there's, there's an incredible amount of value in hiring professionals that are local to the market that you're investing in. Um, you know, we've, we've had issues in, in Joshua Tree where, where we both invest, Terry, uh, with appraisals, where sometimes uh, these out-of-town appraisers would come in and they wouldn't really understand the nuances of that city and that market. And we get these super low appraisals and we, you know, have to challenge them, get them reappraised and someone who's local who, who better understood the market could come in and knock it out quickly. Um, same with like general contracting crews, like they don't understand the, the nuances of building in Josh Tree. So they run into delays that, you know, GCs that are born and bred in the desert. They, they already know how to kind of navigate those things. So I think for most people, when they're trying to build out that team, if you can go local to someone that understands those nuances, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of value there. Terry, you had mentioned that you found the architect after you purchased the land. So let's go back a little bit. If you're doing the land purchase first, tell us about what made the land a good value. Like, what were you looking at as to like, these are the things I need in this parcel to be able to develop on and even the location of it? Every market is a little bit different. So I'm developing two markets right now in Joshua Tree and Los Angeles. So one of the things that's, one of the things that's common in every market that you have to look for though is uh, your zoning code. Um, so if you're buying in Joshua Tree most of the time or developing in Joshua Tree, you're probably trying to develop a, a luxury single family home to make it an Airbnb. So what we want to make sure is, okay, are Airbnbs allowed in this area? Um, or single family homes allowed to be developed in this area. In Los Angeles, you know, we're developing multifamily. So we want to make sure, um, can we develop amount, this X amount of units? Can we develop to this height? Can we develop to this square footage? Just simple zoning code. So you want to make sure, I know some people, um, they buy some stuff on some lot. They think they can build three different homes and make them Airbnbs, but the zoning code will tell you differently. The zoning code will say, no, only one house can actually be on this lot. That's it. So I think knowing your zoning code is is the number one thing you want to do while you're in escrow or even before, really before you even make an offer for the land. Um, the next thing you want to do is also know utilities. Know, okay, I'm buying this land here. Does this land have water? Does this land have power? Um, does this land have sewer? Or do I need to put a septic or uh, do I need to do a perk test and get a septic tank here? Uh, knowing this prior, so you, so you don't have any of these big hiccups coming into the, uh, coming into the process. And then, uh, Joshua tree specifically also is like, you know, you have to be 40 feet away from a Joshua tree. So you also want to look, we can look at the satellite image and kind of tell how many, how many trees are on a lot. So that, that affects us if we want to build or how big we want to build. So, 
Um, there's a lot of little things that you have to look at, but you can do a lot of your due diligence while you're in escrow before you purchase the land. Terry, what are, where are you finding this information? Where can you suggest somebody is just starting out? They want to look at the code and find out this information. What are some resources they can go to? Oh, for sure. Um, well, first I think whoever is looking to develop kind of know what you want to develop first. So if it's that single family home that you know, and you know, that's what you want to develop. Um, and let's just say it's like somewhere in, uh, you know, Florida, um, Boca Raton, Florida, you know, you can look up easily Boca Raton city zoning and, you know, the, the city it's, it's all public information. The city zoning code should be right there. And, you know, if it's confusing, I mean, it, it's, it, it takes a little time to read it through, but if it's confusing, another thing that somebody can do is easily, you can call up the local city building department, say, Hey, you know, I'm looking to develop or build a single family house in this location, you can give them the address. They won't heart, they won't shame you or anything. I'm a new person. I don't really know developing. Can I develop a single family house here? And they will, they'll tell you straight up. Uh, yeah, you can build something here or no, you can't. And you know, even, even I do this till this day, I just bought actually something in Los Angeles. I made an appointment with the Los Angeles building department. I came in with the paperwork. Hey, this is the land I'm looking to buy. This is, uh, I haven't bought it yet. But I want to make sure, can I build what myself, what I think I can build and what my architect, my, my architect says we can build. And that's just extra due diligence just to make sure that we're not going to buy something and, and, and come to find out we can't build anything whatsoever. Terry, I, I think one of the points you made too will play value into this as far as like figuring out the code is if you are hiring a local architect who knows the area, they'll also know the codes, but they may also know the code enforcement officer, which can actually be a huge advantage if they've already worked directly with this person, have a personal relationship with them too. Um, I think has been, in my experience, a huge, huge advantage of like seeing those relationships play together um, as far as getting your, your project continued on. For sure. And to piggyback on what you just said, when I first went to a local architect, one of the things that I, uh, what I had issues with my first architect was, you know, all the time you get corrections from the city. And when you get correction from the city, the architect has to fix those corrections. Then you have to resubmit them. And that can make the process a bit longer. So when I went to the local architect, I said, well, how long are you going to take to actually do the corrections when the city gives you corrections? And he, the first thing he said to me, I've been doing this for over 20 years with the city. I don't get corrections. So, I mean... To hear that. Love the confidence. Yeah, I loved I loved it too. And he still got corrections to this day on my project. But but needless to say, though, it was it was like he knows the city, the city knows him. It's always a little more comfortable when you're in that process and and when you have respect for somebody. Yeah. That's here. I, I just want to comment on the whole corrections piece because you know, I'm I'm good friends with the builder out uh, in Joshua area as well. And he's like third generation. His family's been building out there for 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 decades now, so he knows the ins and outs of everyone at 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 the the county's office. And he'll build the same exact uh, blueprint, the same exact property on uh, like multiple parcels at the same time. So have like three lots that he's building on in different parts of the uh, of the city. He'll submit three sets of the same exact plans to the city. Uh, for the same exact property, right? That, that's getting built in just three different locations. Each set of plans will go to like a different plan checker and he'll get back three different types of revisions on the same set of plans. Makes no sense, right? So th there's a lot of, I think, uh, nuance and, and um, you know, depends on who you get that determines on, on what kind of corrections you get back. 
Um, but but Tara, I, I want to go back because you, you talked about how to kind of find the, the zoning code, but what about the utilities? If I'm looking at a parcel of land, how do I know if I have water, power, sewer, or, or what it'll cost to get that installed if it's not there? Uh, two ways. Um, in my local market in Joshua Tree, you can actually go online to the, the water district and there's a map that shows you the, the water line on every single street. And, you know, for a newbie though, like to kind of to find that website and kind of get into that can be a little tricky. But another thing they can do is you can call the local water district. Uh, you can call them up, say, I have this parcel of land under contract and I want to make sure uh, we're connected to water. And they'll tell you straight up, like, no, you're not connected to water. It's going to cost you 50000 It'll cost you 5000 or it might cost you. I've heard water parcels coming up to 150 grand. So you can find that with a two minute call easily in your water market. Um, electricity, some it, the electricity is pretty easy. I, you can kind of see the electric pole on the uh, parcel maps. And if you're unsure either, like for, for SoCal, SoCal Edison out here, you can call them up and just say, hey, just wanted to make sure uh, this parcel has electricity or is it going to be a process to connect to the electricity here? Simple as that. And, um, you know, those are like the two main utilities that you have to look for. And it's quite, it's really quite simple for the single family houses. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we're, we're working on some development right now as well. And, um, you know, we, we had to call the local electric utility to try and get some, uh, cost estimates for that as well. So glad to know I'm, I'm, I'm doing it the right way. Tony, I have a, I have a follow-up to that too, real quick is on sometimes on the tax record, it will actually say if there is a, a well or public, or if it's water, um, public water or, yeah, the well or a septic or a public sewer system too. I've not, I haven't seen that it says that there's electric access to it or not. But another thing near us is um, gas. So if there's natural gas that may heat the house or if there's propane, where propane, you actually have to come and get propane delivered to your house too, which can actually be, uh, first of all, a huge inconvenience, but also can play a part into the cost of having the propane versus having the natural gas supplied to your property too. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC, but you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my nine to five job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tara, I want to ask about the architect piece because you said that, you know, once you found this local architect, that person knew the civil engineer, they knew the the surveyor, and, and they just kind of became your linchpin for the rest of your team in that market. So the the million dollar question is, how did you find that that architect? Was this person on Yelp? Was, you know, is there like a uh, a, a resource or database of architects that build in, in markets? Like, how did you find this person? I, I, um, referral, referral for this one. Uh, now, now when I find architects though, what I do now is like, if I see a home or I see a building that I, I, I like, I really like, I'll, I'll do research. I'll go put the address in. I'll like, I'll go and find that architect. I'll, I'll figure it out some way, somehow. But the reason I do that is because if that's the style of build that I like and that's kind of the vision, more than likely me talking to that architect will, will help to encapsulate that vision or, or, or what they're trying to create. Um, and most of the time when you, you know, if for somebody if they're trying to develop in Joshua Tree, go drive around, find the houses that you really like. Um, you know, it's just a, just a quick little probably 30 minutes of uh, some investigating, you know, I'm sure people do more investigating with their partners or whatever, <laughs> but if they, if they, if they just do a little bit of investigation, they can, they'll, they'll be able to find out, um, they'll be able to find out who that architect is. And, uh, but, um, for mine, I definitely, it was a referral for one, but now I kind of, I, I like to find an architect who, um, whose like vision is very similar to my vision. So uh, I just want to pull that thread on the investigation piece. So like, are you like, say I, I find one, two, three main street in the city that I'm looking at. Am I then going to like the the county and saying, Hey, who was the architect that submitted these drawings or or what is that? Is that like the, the right next step? You could do that. I think, yeah, you could do that. I, I, for, so Los Angeles, um, 
the data is public. So if there's an address or a building that I like, um, usually if you look it up on Earth, there's this website called Urbanize. Urbanize writes an article about every building that's being proposed, who the architect is, who the developer is. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go and gather. I'll say, okay, that's the architect. All right, let me call him. Let me figure out. Let me try to work with this guy, see what he's saying. And and most of the time they're willing to work with you, you know. One one other follow-up question on the on the architect piece. Are you are you finding the architect, developing the plans, and then looking for the land? Or do you find the land and say, okay, what can I build that that matches uh this land? Um, I would say it kind of depends on the market, but um I'll find the land first. I'll find the land first, and then, you know, like for instance, like if we're if somebody if somebody put in me and Tony's lap a beautiful land in South Joshua Tree right near the park, let's say two acres, Tony, we're going to need a very, very sophisticated uh, architect that that can do so, like a magnificent build because we want to maximize, want to maximize the opportunity of that lot. Now, if it's another lot that's, you know, let's say way up north in Joshua Tree and a bit of an okay area, not that many views, you know, we'll use a good architect uh, probably a smaller build, but it'd be it'd be a different architect than 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 the one over there by a greater area. So I feel like there's an architect for every project, or there could be an architect for every project. So I like to find the land first. Yeah. So let's talk about pivoting into development for somebody who's listening to this and now has shiny object syndrome and how they want to go into development. What are some things that somebody can actually do to kind of switch these roles, get into this strategy? Um, I think, I think the first thing really is like, I think a lot of people think that developing is, 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 uh, is a lot of money out of pocket. And I'm kind I, I, I've actually, I'm developing some single family houses that have been less money out of pocket for me, less investment than some of the rehabs and flips that I've done. And at the end of the day, I'm putting a better product on the market. So I think that that one thing I want to let a lot of listeners know, like this is not, um, it's not, I remember I was speaking to somebody who told me don't develop unless you have, somebody said don't develop unless you have a million dollars cash. And that was complete absurd to me. And then I found out, you know, that person didn't develop and uh, it just, it, but it's just, it's just absurd. So, um, so for me as a developer, uh, one of my deals, actually, we bought the land for 25,000. We spent another 25, let's just quick, short, you know, concise number 25 to pre-develop it and all in, let's $50,000. We just got the plans approved. That is all that I needed for my construction loan. Now my construction loan comes in and we're able to build the whole house and, and now I get to build the whole house. And now the choice is mine of what I want to do after, if I want to refinance it and keep it, or if I want to sell it, um, you know, this doesn't, I mean, does it happen all the time like this? Maybe, but it can, but my initial investment was about close to $50,000 just for one development deal. Terry, can we talk about the the debt that you're using? You said construction loan. What is that? What are the terms? Like, how are you only able to, you know, allow the the land costs and your pre-development costs to be all you have to put in? Like, walk through the terms of that, that debt. So I work with a, I work with a, uh, I work with a couple of construction lenders, but I, I found a new construction lender that works at 60% loan to value. So what they're going to do is once you get your plans approved, then they can come in. And 
the way that they the way that they come in at sixty percent loan to value is that they'll take your plans or your renderings of of what the house is going to look like when it's all said and done, and you will pay for a local appraiser to appraise those plans as if the home was built today. So when they do that, so one of my homes, for example, got appraised for a million dollars, and at a million dollars, they the lender is able to give me sixty percent loan to value. So that's they're able to fund me six hundred thousand dollars. The contractor bidded the home to be built for 500K. So now what I'm allowed to do that, what I'm also allowed is I'm allowed to put the fees of the loan in the loan as, in the loan as well. And, and on top of that, like the interest, obviously the interest will probably be six to eight months. I also prepay those interests inside the loan as well. So now my initial investment is just the land and the pre-development costs. And if we build it on time, if we build it on time, we don't have to really, you know, we don't have to expect to uh, being incurring like, you know, other other months of interest. And I like I like personally, I like the 60 percent loan to value because it gives me two options. It gives me an option to refinance at 70 or 75 percent LTV. Now I know I can pay the first back and then I get a little bit of money cash out refinance for myself. And then option number two is to sell it. So. Though, and I always want to have two options when I'm doing development deals because, you know, I don't want to bank on a sale, especially with high, you know, high interest rates while I'm paying on these construction loans. You know, things can get out of whack. So I just like to have two options to know I'm safe in, in these deals. Siri, how many have you kept and how many have you sold? Um, I'm keeping all of them. You know, I keep I plan on keeping all of them. I and 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 I like the strategy. Yeah, I like the strategy to keep it because because it also, you know, a lot of times when you have to sell. Um, you know, you put it at a price where you have to sell it for, you know, when I have, when I hold these properties with intent to keep them, I'm, you know, some of them, I just throw on the market. I'm like, Hey, if it goes at this price, it goes, if not, it's Airbnb and it's still going to be cash loan for me. Do you want to walk us through the numbers on one of your deals and kind of your experience of it, of doing a, a new development? Okay. Yeah. You got a deal in mind. Uh, yeah. Uh, similar to the one I did, but I'll be more precise on the numbers. Yeah. 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 We, we want to hear like the numbers break down. Okay. Actually, I want to get, I want to show this, that I want to, I want to really, really go deep into it with how I was able to develop this with no money out of pocket for me. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So <laughs> I found a deal. I got a deal under contract, right? I wanted to wholesale this deal for $22,000, right? A land deal. Land deal. Correct. I blasted it out. I blasted it out. And I, I, I thought it was such a good deal. I blasted it out. So it was such a good deal. Um, um, these two investors never met them before. They were like, Hey, come show us the land. And usually I virtually do, I virtually wholesale land. So I was like, ah, I don't need to go out there, but they were really adamant, like, Hey, show us the land. So I, I drive out there. I show them the land and I was looking to make a, on this one, I was looking to make about 15, uh, $20,000 assignment fee from wholesaling it. So they come out, they check out the land and they're like, ah, what do you, what do you think you can do with this land? I'm like, ah, oh, this is a pretty, this is a really good lot. I think you can get a nice single family home here. You can, you can put it on Airbnb. If it's a, if it's a three bedroom with a pool, you can do uh, upwards of a, you know, high hundred thousands a year. And they're like, what did you could do all that? I said, yeah, for sure. And then, uh, you know, I started showing them numbers of my Airbnbs performing. And then I started showing them, you know, what I was looking to calc at on my new constructions. And they, 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 at first they didn't want the deal. So they were like, huh? They were like, you know what? How about this? What do you have the property for under contract? And I was just completely open. I said, I have it under contract for $22,000. They said, how about this? We buy it at the price that you have it under contract for. 
but we bring you in as an equal partner. And you run the show, you bring in the construction loans, you run the Airbnb, and and you're an equal partner. And I'm like, man, I don't got the capital right now. This is like, this is everything I wanted. I, there was a no-brainer for me. No-brainer, no-brainer for me. And it, and, and it kind of, you know, I although like I haven't really met these guys for a long time, the partnership just worked out so like perfect. And I just, and I was, you know, so grateful for it. So we go, we buy the land for $22,000. We spend about $25,000 for plans, permits, uh, yeah, plans and permits and all the pre-development fees. And we're all in, we're all in about, you know, 47. So you can say, let's just say 50 for these numbers. And we bring in the construction lender. The construction lender comes in and this, and our property appraises for, 1.05 million. So one million fifty thousand dollars And they give us the construction loan for 660. So we even, so it, the, we had so much extra cushion in there. We even, we packaged six months of loan of, of a uh, construction loan interest in there. So really that's all we've invested so far in the project. Um, you know, can we go a little bit, can we splurge and probably do a little extra stuff here and there? Maybe, you know, and come out and be a, you know, a little bit more money out of pocket. Yeah, we could, but you know, that's just the powership of understanding how to use debt and understanding how to, you know, understanding how to work with partners and, and, and to bring value to other people. So, and a lot of, and you know, these were older gentlemen. So, you know, a lot of the older generation, they don't under, they don't really understand the Airbnb game and they don't understand short-term rentals. So it's like a lot of us, like the newbies, you know, rookies in this game, this is what we understand. And this is, and this is real value that we can bring to other people. And, uh, you know, for me, it's a deal that I'm zero dollars out of pocket for. So it's like, it's a win-win in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah. And that's it. That's a super great point at the end that they put on the, the older generation as to, you know, they didn't have bigger pockets when they were just starting out. You know, they started building just they were just doing real estate investing, you know, and now that there's bigger pockets and you can reach out to people and, you know, find out all these different things that are going on, especially if they're not on social media either, then, you know, you're it's a lot harder to learn about all these different things that you can actually do with real estate investing. Um, so, yeah, I think that is a huge advantage of knowing of all these new creative strategies that come out, even to even like um you know, midterm rentals, 30 day stays for traveling nurses, like how that has exploded in the last couple of years too. And that's something, you know, someone may not have even have heard of or thought of that you could do, or there's somebody that has been doing that forever. And they just, you know, they don't know that you can put it on Airbnb. They've always just, you know, rented it to somebody else and all these things. But yeah, I think that's definitely an advantage. And Tony and I have been talking about that a lot as to how, not just the capital that you're bringing to the table is the biggest benefit. There are so many other things you can bring as a rookie investor and knowledge is one of those for sure. And, and I, the only other thing I'll add to that is that I think that there's, it just goes to show that, uh, A, reinforce our point earlier about when you can provide value to people, they're more willing to give you value in return. You bought these guys not only an amazing deal, but you brought them a skill set that they didn't have. And that's a big part of any successful partnership is that there has to be puzzle pieces that that fit, right? Uh, the, the second thing, Terry, was that you know you you kind of had the, the courage, I guess, uh, to partner with people that, that you 
didn't know all that well, right? Um, and I think sometimes people have this hesitation around like, okay, I just mes- met this person. Is this the right person to, to work with? Honestly, typically, Ashton, I would probably say like maybe date them a little bit first, but if you get a good vibe from them and, and it all works out, like it, it just goes to show what happens when you kind of take that leap of faith. So just kudos to you, man, for what, what turned out to be a, a really, really awesome deal. I, I guess last question on that piece, do you plan to continue working with them? Yeah, it's actually a, it's actually a great partnership. They like it's just like, look, we're retiring, we're trying to lay by the beach, you know. You handle it, you know, and like they come in obviously, and you know they put their input in here and there. But it's 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 one of those good partnerships where like they they see a lot of they see value in in what I bring to the table from the from bringing in the construction financing to bringing in the uh, Airbnb knowledge, uh, all the data analytics that I that I put together for them. So. You know, they, they, they see a lot of value and a lot of upside to it. And uh, I definitely see myself work with them. Yeah. What a huge advantage, especially if somebody who's looking to retire, they don't want to go and take the time to learn and do research on everything you need to know to do this when you can just partner with someone. And I think a, a lot of people that have already become successful in one thing, that's their next step is they go and partner with other people in other things that are successful at what they're doing. So they don't have to go and become an expert at a whole different business. And so, yeah, I think that definitely adds a lot of value. So one last point I want to touch on here is what environment did you need to succeed and do you think there were transferable skills that you gained from wholesaling? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the environment is, in developing, you know, there's always, uh, there's always obstacles. There's always, uh, you know, little hiccups here and there. Um, it, it's just part of the game and it's just, it's really part of it. And just like wholesaling, you know, there always be obstacles, things, but you're constantly problem solving. You're really constantly problem solving. And uh, I think, um I made sure I, I, I made sure I kept the circle of, uh, you know, developers. Um, and I, you know, if they needed value about the market or anything, I was always, I was always super adamant. I was going to give it to them, you know, just, just, you know, be on the phone talking to them. But at the same time, I knew that like, Hey, like, you know, this is my first one. Like, I need a little help here. Like, do you mind checking it out for me or going by? And I made some really good friends from it. And uh, I remember one of my uh, one of my buddies. He's a GC. He would just come by and check on the project because he had some projects nearby. And like sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, these guys are doing this wrong. They, you know, the inspector's not passing this. What, what's the deal? And he's like, brother, relax. It's just developing. It's supposed to be fun. And I'm like, and like sometimes you just have, sometimes it's just in life in general about anything that we're doing. It's like. Yeah, you're right. Just have some fun. Like we're developing, like it's fun, you know? So I think, uh, being able to just do that is probably one of the most important skill cells that you can have. And, and I would say developer, just anything, you know, just to enjoy it. So, uh, I'm so that's the most, that's the skill. cell I'm working on the most of this day. It's like, you know, once you get past that learning curve, you can really just say, oh, all right, all right, cool. Now, now this is fine, you know? So that's kind of what I'm, what I'm kind of veering to, but. Just one comment on that piece. I, I think it's a super important point because it is easy to get overwhelmed. But uh, I, I was reading some book recently. I can't remember which book it was, but it was talking about how you know the the version of you ten years ago would probably be excited to deal with the stress that you're dealing with today, because it's like think about the ways you had to grow and evolve as a person to even be in a position to deal with that kind of stress. And when you can kind of frame it that way where, hey, the the things that are kind of on my plate today are a result of the progress and growth that I've had as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a real estate investor, um, it, it kind of reframes those situations. So um, uh, yeah, man, just a thought that came to mind. 
Uh, Terry, dude, so much good conversation, but I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to get you back on the show. Uh, before we let you go, we, we got a, a couple more segments here. All right. So Terry, our question today comes from Voltaire Gonsett and uh, Voltaire says, can you 1031 exchange into new construction homes? So uh, have you ever had any experience doing a, a 1031 exchange? And if so, do you know if you're able to do that with new construction? I keep most of my properties, to be honest. So I haven't had that. I haven't had that. Uh, um, I haven't had that uh, experience yet, um, but I do hear that uh, with with ten thirty ones. Tony, you would know probably better, but you have to kind of ten thirty word up into a property that's worth more. C- correct. Yeah, to, to an extent, right? So I've, I've done one ten thirty one. Ash, have you done any ten thirty ones yet? Also, not for myself, but for another investor, I did. Yeah, so there there's some limitations on what you can do. It it has to be like a like a like kind exchange. So I I couldn't like sell my my single family home and go buy like a, a car wash so it has to be you know a single family home for another type of 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 real estate and i'm not a 1031 exchange expert either um but you you can't necessarily go um like, like there are limitations on like the value of what you're selling versus what you're actually acquiring i think you know kind of based on what i'm looking at here i think you should be able to 1031 into new construction as long as you're able to check those boxes of like kind exchange um, so the, the biggest thing, Voltaire, is that uh, if you are thinking about doing a 1031, you need to use um, uh, like a qualified intermediary. So you can't just go out there and sell your property and then, you know, tell the IRS, hey, I didn't touch it. You know, it's, it's just sitting in my savings account. You have to hire uh, a, a qualified intermediary to hold those funds for you. And there's a bunch of paperwork they fill out to make sure that you execute it the right way. So if you're thinking about doing a 1031, Voltaire, my first piece of advice would be Go find a 1031 exchange or intermediary who can help you facilitate that process. Yeah, one 1031 exchange I did with a, another investor I helped him with is he sold, a, an, a, I think it was a 20-unit apartment complex, and he ended up buying uh, two commercial buildings and a vacant piece of land. And then he actually ended up keeping, I think, like $50,000 in cash that he ended up paying tax on that. So he didn't even 1031 exchange the whole amount. He did keep some of that. And that was just because he couldn't find anything else and he was hitting his deadlines. But um, yeah, he ended up getting those, which, you know, the 20 unit apartment complex, which is a residential commercial property to two other commercial properties that were retail stores and then also vacant land. So, I mean, those weren't exactly the same type of property, but they still uh, fit into that model of like kind exchange. I've also heard, and actually this is from a, a mutual friend of ours, Ashley Tarl, but he told me about a reverse 1031 exchange where you can, there's a way to do it backwards. So like if you've already sold and, and bought the new property, there is a way to kind of go backwards and retroactively apply a 1031 as well, which I didn't know about. But um, anyway, Voltaire, go go talk to your professional. Ash and I are just podcast hosts. Who knows where, who, who knows if you can trust us. Um, anyway, uh, moving on to the next piece, it's the rookie exam. Uh, so the the three questions we ask every single guest, Terry, are you ready for question number one? Yes, ready. All right. Now that you're a, a developer, what's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? Mm, as a developer, I still use PropStream a lot. You know, I still use PropStream. I... Um, I, I like to, I like just like looking, I like to look at the satellite images of all the, all the properties. I like to know the comps. I want to know what new developments are selling for. Um, I'm always constantly looking at, at, at what new developments are, 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 are trading at or what's going on. So um, definitely still prop stream. No prop stream. What is the one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? 
I would I would connect with developers. I would really I would uh, I would connect with developers in your local market that you're looking to develop in, and uh, I would you know just talk to them and say, uh, hey, you know, you know whether it be starting to wholesale or hey, is there any way that I can find you some land or or anything? I have a I have a marketing vehicle uh, that gets me great off market listings and deals. So you guys are looking for anything, and then you know reel them in a little bit, and then say. Uh, what are you working on now? And, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of see, see what they're doing. And so now you're able to like, kind of get, you know, start, start building that developer's eye yourself. So that's what I would definitely say to start connecting with them. All right. And question number three, Terry, where do you plan on being five years from now? Uh, five years from now, I want to be building skyscrapers in New York city. Dang, I love that. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one, man. Yeah. Five years. I need my first skyscraper in the city. Yeah. Harris Tower. Yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> we'll go back to this podcast in five years and see that. <laughs> well, it's not quite five years ago, but a couple of years ago, uh, you can go back and listen to Terry's episode on biggerpockets.com slash rookie153. And I don't think we had this segment then, but um be interesting to know how, if we did, what you'd be on track for that, that, that five years. So we'll definitely have to have you back in five years to talk about that skyscraper development. So Terry, where can everyone reach out to you and find out some more information? Uh, I think the most responsive on Instagram, Instagram is Terry Harris 15. Um, I kind of did a little pause on Instagram cause I was learning a lot of developing and kind of, you know, in the, in the ground, but I'm starting to going to get back on YouTube and, uh, putting more content out there as well. So YouTube page is a T cash T C A S H. And, uh, you know, those are the two I wear on the YouTube page. I teach a lot about wholesaling, really go in depth of every software and everything I use in wholesaling. So if anyone wants to get into wholesaling, I think that's a good little check that out. And then Instagram, if you want to reach out and just ask questions on, you know, developing in general, I'm there for that. And for today's social media shout out, I want to give a shout out on Instagram uh, to account I found. Um, and this one is Lady Gina underscore real underscore estate underscore investing. And here we have uh, Lady Gina shares her investment journey. She is a full-time real estate investor and she specializes in apartment building. So go give her a follow and see her story. I, I love that we do these social media shares because sometimes it's people that we see that are sharing value. They're sharing their tips. And then other times it's just literally telling you what they're doing day to day or, you know, as what they're doing as an investor. And I think both of those aspects are so valuable to keep you motivated, keep you inspired. Um, so clear your feed of meme accounts and start following more real estate investors. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story real quick. When, uh, so our partnership book came out, real estate partnerships and, my mom was telling her friends about it. <laughs> my mom was telling her friends about it. And she texts me and she's like, oh my God, so-and-so was freaking out that you co-authored a book with Tony, blah, blah, blah. And I like knew right away. I do. Cause I was like, I, there's no way my mom knows. My mom's friend knows who Tony is. There's no way. And so I was just like, oh yeah, how? And she's like, oh, she... You know, she's read his books, listens to his podcasts, all this stuff. I'm like, does she mean Tony Robbins? And she's like, no, no, no. I'm sure I said Tony Robinson. And I was, I was like, um, 
Okay, well, uh, Tony's podcast is my podcast. So she listens to my podcast and she's like, oh, yeah, it was Tony Robbins, she thought. But her friend was like ecstatic. Oh, my God. Ashley's associated with Tony Robbins. That's amazing. Add another name to the to the disappointment. Yeah, maybe it will uh, sell more books because people will keep making that confusion. <laughs> maybe we should have left the J off the book title. <laughs> A slight blur off the the ending there. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, um, yeah, we should. I should lean into that more often. That, that's true. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony J. Robinson at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.